But there was no belief in my ability as an artist. There was no belief in my ability as a conductor. There was no belief in, I just didn't believe in myself. I wasn't being authentic. I didn't think I had the power to be happy. I, I mean, my depression was rampant. My alcoholism and drug use was rampant. So in essence, I was self-medicating because I was being someone that I'm not. Hi, I'm Isaac, founder of I Am Clinic, a psychotherapy practice in Denver, Colorado, and co-host of Queer Relationships. Thanks for joining in today. In this episode, I sit down with my guest and explore the challenges we face in forging a sense of belonging and stabilizing self-confidence, and how the roots from our childhood and the kind of affirmation we receive or didn't receive go on to affect us in the future. We talk about their lifelong struggle with anxiety and depression, which seems to have been a mountain to climb. They are vulnerable enough to tell us how coming out and creating a chosen family have filled their life with joy and a deep sense of gratitude. You'll find their sincerity to be captivating and their pure heart to be enduring, qualities we all hope to attain. I want to thank my guests for their vulnerability. I know many people listening will resonate with their story. Let's take a listen. Tell me about one of your favorite childhood memories. Could be anything. Oh, gosh. I, have, I actually have quite a bit. One of my favorite, though. Um, so I grew up on a farm in East Texas, about an hour east of Dallas. And my, my family, I'm the first person in my family that really got out of Texas or moved away from Texas. All of them live on both sides within like a 30 minute radius of each other. And so my cousins lived next door to me and next door to the farm I lived on. And there was a patch of woods behind their house um, that was also behind. So their house was, it doesn't matter. You can't see what I'm doing um, on this, but their house, (laughs) if you like went and met in the middle between their house and my house, there was a patch of woods. And probably some of my fondest memories is playing with my cousins in the woods, um, a female cousin and a male cousin. And then my brother who would, my half brother, I should say, who would come over on the weekends. We would all just play together. And I would throw hissy fits a lot because I wouldn't get my way because I was the only child living in my household. But Probably playing in the woods is probably some of my fondest memories or, or, or riding AT, riding four-wheelers awesome. with my cousins. That's probably some of my fondest memories mm-hmm. as a child. That sounds amazing. Um, how did you feel as, well, when did you know that you would be part of the queer community? How old do you feel like you might have been? I, I didn't know what the word queer was, but if sure. I would have known. I would have known verbiage probably before even elementary school. Okay. Um, like daycare. I, I, my mom was a full-time working mom and my dad worked and I went to daycare, but I knew I was different in daycare. Um, whenever they would split us in, I actually got in trouble a lot by it. They would split us into boy and girl groups and I never wanted to be with the boy groups. I didn't like the toys that they let us play with. I always wanted to play in the kitchen and I just wasn't allowed to. And I would get upset. I wanted to play with Barbies and I couldn't because I'd get and I'd get upset. So um, I knew I was queer at a very young age. Yeah. But I, I came out as queer as a gay man because that's all I knew at the time 
when I was 15 years old. Okay. Yeah. How would you identify now? What would you say your identity is today? Um, my identity, I, so absolutely non-binary, uh, so trans non-binary femme, more on the femme side. Okay. Yeah. And what are your pronouns? What would you say? My pronouns, so I'm a drag entertainer. My pronouns are um, in drag, always she, her, hers. And honestly, in writing, I like my, in my day-to-day or my muggle life, if you will, in my day-to-day life in text, they, them. Okay. Uh, outside of text, if it's a one-on-one conversation, I'm okay with any pronouns as long as it's respectful. Okay. Yeah. Nice. What does that feel like for you? How do you, like, if someone is questioning this in their own reality, what are some of the indicators that you have that really feel non-binary for you? Um, gosh. That how other people make me feel non-binary or just myself? Yeah. What do you know about yourself that proves to you you're non-binary? Well, my non-binaryness, which isn't really a word, but we're going to make you, I hope people know what I mean. Uh, my, my gender comes out of breaking down barriers of what patriarchy and society has put placed on women versus men or men versus women. I, I mm. hate, I hate the construct of what society has placed on us. Um, hate's a harsh word. I strongly dislike it. Sure. Uh, but for me, it's really breaking down barriers. A lot of times I feel like my most self is when I wear uh, articles of clothing that I was told I couldn't wear or that society looks at me funny. And let me tell you, I feel like a million bucks when I wear a dress out. Sure. So I'm amen. Um, I feel mm-hmm. like a million bucks when I wear a dress out or wear, wear a pair of heels or dress more on the femme side. And I don't. I don't even look at what people look at me because I feel so great. I don't even care if people are looking at me funny and it doesn't even bother me um, if they are looking at me funny. Uh, So probably clothing has played a big role in helping me be my authentic self. Um, And just identifying that pronouns are important, but I can identify on both spectrums um, and it, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, I don't have to be this big man. Well, I'm not this big mass person, but I can, I can wear a dress and change my attire on my car and it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a beautiful integration. I'd love to use that word because it's integrating. It's not operating out of one silo and then switching to another. It's one silo that houses both. Mm-hmm. It's it's really that gray area that we have always been told mm. it really doesn't it doesn't exist when it's to, there's I mean when you when you're able to delve into the gray area of gender I think it creates a, a, a an absolute and I don't even like putting the term gray area uh, but it, it creates an absolute beauty within the soul mm. I I came out as non-binary. Um, November will be two years, so a little over a year and a half ago. Okay. And it's honestly been one of the most freeing experiences I've ever felt. Mm. I felt it, and it was a Facebook post, and I felt this whoosh of emotion come, whoosh of emotion come over me. That it was was euphoric, but also it was just freeing. It was a 
freeing experience that because I just with what society it's always you have to be a he or have to be a she when it's you don't have to be any of that for sure and and some days you can be a he and some days you can be a she and some days you can be a they and Mm -hmm. it's really beautiful and it's it's really helped me embrace my authentic self which has taken I would have been 30 30 ish then okay 30 now so Mm -hmm. I guess 30 I don't know numbers Mm -hmm. are hard Sure, I hear you. <laughs> but it, it's been probably some of the most freeing and beautiful experiences to me in my life. It sounds so rooted, but just like any huge tree that's so stable, mm-hmm. there's a growth process and Absolutely. a part where the seed is just buried under dirt and it doesn't feel like it can ever become anything. Mm-hmm. What did that season of life feel like for you to just be? isolated in the ground if you will oh gosh it's it was hard it was so hard um it was painful it was like I look at myself now to look at me back at myself I mean I'm a completely different person from who I was two years ago yeah and it 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 was I, but I didn't even realize how hard it was um, because of what society teaches us is what you have to be or what, and, and what you learn from that. And just not, I didn't know I could live out of what societal quote unquote norms are and be the, and end up being the happiest I could be. It, it was hard. It was painful because I wasn't being authentic. I wasn't being who I could, who I was mm-hmm. or who I am. I wasn't, I wasn't experiencing life to the fullest. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Absolutely. What did that feel like for you? I mean, what were you, what were you experiencing then? I was experiencing hate towards myself and I already, I self-deprecated. I'm, I'm like the queen of self-deprecation. I don't do it as much anymore, but I think part of that is because of coming out as my authentic self. Mm-hmm. It, self-deprecation was big. Um, there was hardly any belief in myself. My self-esteem, which I think we're all working on constantly as, a, as humans. Well, I'm, well, I say all. Some of, a lot of us are working harder than others. Sure. But there was no belief in my ability as an artist. There was no belief in my ability as a conductor. There was no belief in, I just didn't believe in myself. Mm. I wasn't being authentic. I didn't think I had the power to be happy. I, I mean, my depression was rampant. My alcoholism and drug use was rampant. Um, and it, so in essence, I was self-medicating because I was trying to, I was being someone that I'm not mm-hmm. and it, it, yeah, it was pain, a lot of pain, a lot of pain, it, it, deep pain that I just, I covered up and hid from people though. I, I didn't let people know I was experiencing, well, I was open about depression, anxiety, but it, those two together can cause some deep pain and I just pain and fear. I was always fearful about, being authentic because I did, was like, well, society, what will society think mm-hmm. whenever it's not society's business to tell me who I can and can't be? 
One of the things I experience personally, and I, I wonder if this resonates for you, is this lack of mirroring. This mm-hmm. idea that as a queer kiddo, there were adults saying, we see you, we love you, keep going, let it shine because it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And without that, we feel different. And I think self-deprecation is kind of inevitable. Mm-hmm. It would have been wonderful to have some mirroring as a kiddo. Absolutely. And as a kiddo, I mean, I was raised in a very blue collar. My dad was a blue collar worker. My mom was a white collar worker. Don't really like those terms, but I can't think of anything else. My mom works at a bank. My dad runs a farm and a contracting business. Hmm. And it was just always taught that this is what the men do in the family. And the women do this. And it's it's still very Southern male is the leader of the household when that's not true. Mm-hmm. In, my, in my case, growing up, that was absolutely not true. But they still believed it, even though my mom ran the household. Sure. My mom was a breadwinner. But they still believed that my dad had all the power when I, I strongly believe that that's not the truth. Mm-hmm. But it would have been nice to, and even when I get, my coming out process when as a gay man was very traumatizing. Mm. Uh, and it was hard because my parents, they loved me unconditionally. And they were so worried with what society would have thought. Mm. And I was just like, I, they, and things that they said that at that time I held against them, I don't hold against them now, um, was things like, well, you won't be anything if this is how you're choosing to be. Well, first off, I'm not choosing to be this. Sure. uh, Because that's a hard road to choose. Mm -hmm. Um, But that was one of the things that still sticks in my mind um, that you won't be anything. And I, to some people I might not be something, but to myself, especially coming out as non-binary, it's, I've felt the most, I don't like to use the word, powerful but I felt the most um fulfilled that I've ever felt in my life and I feel like I'm doing things I actually feel like I have a a life where there's progress and there's hope and there's wisdom and there's love that I didn't I never had coming out because I was told well you can't do that you can't be what you want to be and be a gay man or a queer person they said gay man but you can't be that when i I think it's made me so much stronger by being queer. How did you find all of that wisdom and hope and love? Where, how did you access that? Oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm probably going to get emotional. Um, Through... I've always lived on the side of hope in life. I've always been a hopeful human being. Mm-hmm. I, I think the world is shit, but I've always been a hopeful human being. And I claim Christianity as my belief. I don't know. And as a Christian, I, I say I'm a Christian because I believe it, that J- Jesus was this person that walked the face of the earth. And I believe that Jesus taught a lot of really beautiful, radical things during their time. And um, so through my faith and 
through experiencing faith with other people and believing in me, that's helped me tremendously. Having a community of queers here in in Colorado that just support me unconditionally and having a community of allies too that support me unconditionally is probably what's given me the hope that and wisdom that I could see a future where it doesn't matter what gender is. It doesn't matter who we are as long as we can love ourselves. And I think if we can love ourselves, that makes us such stronger people in loving others and mm-hmm. being empathetic to others. Um, and this might seem selfish, but I strongly believe it. I'm like, I, RuPaul says, and I don't really like quoting RuPaul, but if you can't love yourself, how the hell are you going to love anyone else? Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much power in that. It and it society teaches us well loving well, some parts of society teach us, well, loving yourself first is selfish. But I yes, sometimes we have to be selfish to be able to experience the love and hope and wisdom in other relationships. Um, but to answer the question, sorry that was a big circle, but definitely a great circle. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Definitely having a queer community that supports you unconditionally and having a church mm-hmm. and just humans, humans supporting you unconditionally is what has really helped me find hope and love and wisdom and all those beautiful things. As I, as I hear the emotion in your voice, it sounds like family. Yeah. Oh, chosen family. 100, oh, God, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. This seems like a longing you've had for a long time. Uh, 100%. I mean, my life has went completely different than what I ever thought it would. And I've, so on the Enneagram, people, if you're Enneagram folk, um, I'm a seven, eight wing. So when it comes to my career and my life and what I, my expectations, I'm very much in that eight realm of having control of things. And when I was 15, came out as a gay man, I was going to, by 26, I was going to be married and have kids and all this. <laughs> now I'm 32 and I couldn't imagine being married and having children. It, it, but, but on the reverse side of that, as I'm a drag entertainer and I have, I'm the matriarch, if you will, of a house here in Denver. And it's it's probably one of the strongest queer houses in the state. It's um, just because of the people that we have in it. And it's not just drag entertainers, it's fashion designers, it's hairstylists, it's community leaders, because we're about creating community and creating a place where we can be vulnerable and hopeful together. And, mm and talk about things that we can't talk about with other people. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, my chosen family has helped stimulate my life in the most amazing ways. As you're talking, I think that there are so many queer folks who lose home, whether it's the physical home, the emotional home, but you've been successful to recreate it, to find it, to get there again gosh i didn't know i'd be boohooing this yeah. whole uh <laughs> podcast but 
it's, I mean, my goal in life is family is so important to me. And even though me and my blood family, we have, we don't have as much of a rocky relationship as we've had in the past, but it's still not the smoothest. Mm-hmm. They don't see things the way I see them and I don't see things the way they see them. And I don't see, I don't see anything wrong with that um, until it becomes harmful with, if we try to push our beliefs on each other or mm-hmm. push, push things. I, I hate pushing um, unless it's necessary when it comes to gender or things like that. But having that chosen family that just, and creating it. I mean, I created this house and I don't view everyone as children in my house because some people aren't my children. They're just loved ones that are a part of this community. Um, it, it's something that I had lost at a period in my twenties and we created it and it's, it, it's really beautiful to have that groundedness if you will um in in people and knowing that there's that unconditional love and experience that we can create together i'm thinking of like what you did to to create this and as i'm like feeling you right now if you will your energy it almost seems like you led with love i mean <laughs> That's what I try to do in every aspect of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, even with people I disagree with, mm-hmm. I always try to leave with, leave with love and hope. Mm-hmm. And it's probably, so, it's, it, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it can lead to a lot of heartbreak sometimes, especially when you have disagreements with people. But love is, I mean, it's the teachings of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And as a Christian, quote unquote, uh, that's love is mentioned over 600 times and throughout the Bible. And, and so that's, that's where I, 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 my foundation of being, if I had to pick two words, um, hope would be the number one one and love would definitely be the second one. I'd, I try to live my life and do I fail miserably sometimes? Yes. But that's part of the brokenness of being human is that it's okay to fall and it's okay to get back up. And sometimes we don't get back up and it's okay to live in those struggles and experience those struggles. But love is definitely the root of my, the root, if you will, that going back to that, that um, vision of a tree of one of my strong queer roots is love. Hello, listener. Thank you so much for hitting play. It's such a privilege to host this podcast and bring it to your ears. And if you're enjoying the show, we would be forever grateful if you'd head over to Apple Podcast, subscribe, download, and give us a review. It goes a long way to help us ensure we can reach more people and empower the LGBTQ plus community to build the relationships we want. I love trees and I can talk about them all day. I'm a nerd in this sense, but I love this idea that the seed gets no choice where it will fall in the ground. Mm-hmm. And it has no choice what kind of bark it will bear, what kind of fruit it will bear, how tall or how thick. It has, it has no choice except to just stand in the sun. 
like water doesn't even absorb water. It doesn't even work in that way, but the sun pulls water up through evaporation. Mm -hmm. And I think it sounds like you just stood there and let your authenticity blossom. I'd like to think so. I, I, um, I, I love trees too. I'm not as nerdy with trees as you are. <laughs> um, I love the visuals of trees mm -hmm. and, um, I honestly, so I've been in Denver, August will be seven years and outside of dragon. So now I'm a full-time drag entertainer. I started that July will be a full year that I've been doing that. Um, and work part-time in choirs as a conductor. Um, and I honestly never thought I would be here this long. Mm. I never thought I'd be in Denver seven years. I thought I would move on to another state working in a big church program or a big community choir program. But part of the hesitation for me um, applying outside of this state, the state of Colorado is because of the roots that have come off of this little seedling that was dropped in Denver. Mm -hmm. uh, the family I've, this is the longest place I've lived outside of growing up in East Texas. Um, Cause my undergrad, I was four years and further in East Texas. And then my master's degree three years, well, it was two years. And then I was in a year limbo a little bit in Austin. And then I've been here seven years and I, I've never had this experience. I've never been somewhere long enough to, have those roots and I have small roots that could be up, uprooted if you will from other places but the roots here we keep going back to tree are much deeper than anything I've ever ever had in my life yeah where are you going in terms of emotional growth what's oh, what's your next leg of the journey I don't know I don't know <laughs> the mm -hmm. pandemic has made me think in ways I didn't think I this some people might say this is pessimistic of me I I say it's realistic I don't see myself being in a bar venue for very quite some time as a drag well as doing drag because I don't think they're gonna be able to do it mm -hmm. capacity limits and also I am looking at nonprofit work and but emotionally I think I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing and just sitting here loving others and hoping that the bullshit that's going on in our country gets better. I think, I think we play a big role in that by voting and uh, taking steps to do what's right, to vote against this tyranny that we're in. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I never thought I would see, I never thought in my life, living in the 20, majority of my life in the 21st century, um, I would see a government in the United States of America as with the tyrant leader. I never thought I would see concentration camps in the country I live in. Um, and it breaks my heart. I, I'm hopeful, but, and I see myself, I, so I see myself pushing back against that stuff mm -hmm. because I have a voice in the queer community here in Colorado. I am, I'm not, and I'm on a platform that I can use that voice. And I think we have to make ethical choices of what we use our voice for. Mm -hmm. I think 
pushback is necessary. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but I'm still going to sit here and love and have hope with all my other queers. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> what demons do you feel like you have yet to conquer? Uh, it's all personal. Um, Aren't all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, yes. Um, I'm still working on, I talked a lot about loving yourself and I'm still working on that. It's mm-hmm. an everyday process. Uh, so really self-esteem is big and not, I mean, we've worked together with and talked about things, but um self-esteem and not trying knowing that I'm good at what I do and not having to ask for assurance whether it be my eyebrows or what when I put them on in drag or whether it be if I think a performance is good or whether I think my comedy is good or whether I think an interaction with another person was good I I need to trust myself more in what I know. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of my biggest demons. But a lot of that comes from the demons of depression and anxiety telling us, telling me that I'm not good enough. And I have to kind of sit back and be like, no, bitch, you're not in charge of me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I'm uh-huh. in charge of me. Yes. And I love, I just, I've never called my depression anxiety bitch, but it felt good. I um, it did. <laughs> but having, knowing that I'm worth it Mm. and knowing that what I'm doing is good. And if I do something wrong and people hold me accountable, I'm notorious. And if we about having a discussion about it, and if I think that I'm wrong, I, and half the time I am, Mm -hmm. I'm the first to admit it and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong in that. So, um, but believing in myself is probably my biggest Mm -hmm. demon. When I think about, depression and anxiety let's stick with depression for a little while it's almost as though every day we get up and we're swimming laps in this particular pool pool of water but it's flavored it's it's um spiced with maybe inadequacy or a sense of failure um resentment or powerlessness helplessness whatever it might be and all day long we're just kind of swimming in this emotional environment what do you feel like if you were in this pool with your depression, what do you feel like is in there? It, it, a lot of it is many people, um, many people that struggle with depression. A lot of it comes from my childhood. Mm. And even that coming out story I was telling a little bit earlier about, oh, you're not good enough. Mm. That So not being good enough Mm -hmm. is probably the thing that's the, in the the flavor of the water, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, that is the most prevalent in that pool of depression Mm -hmm. is you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. When I totally am, but my mind's telling me different. Mm -hmm. That's probably my biggest demon, if you will, or flavor in the water. For sure. You know, there's a difference between the neocortex and the limbic system, and we will make determinations from both places. The Mm -hmm. neocortex is rational, and the limbic system is emotional. And even Mm -hmm. though we might know something cognitively, emotionally, the body is telling us something different. It's creating a sensation that feels real. Absolutely. When you're in those moments of depression and anxiety, what do you think feels real for you? 
Oh gosh. In those moments of questioning and anxiety, what do I? Oh, sometimes it's so bad. I don't know. Okay. Uh, it's, it's weird. Well, it's not weird, but it, during this pandemic, my depression and anxiety have been, I think, less than normal because I'm not interacting in a venue as much. Mm-hmm. It's all virtual. And I don't see people's reaction. I rely, as, as an entertainer, well, yeah, I am parts of my life. I, I read body language. I'm very much an empath, mm-hmm. uh, deep empath. Uh, it's part of my training as a voice professional. We have to feel what other people are feeling mm-hmm. in their throat specifically to be able to fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we can't see if they're playing in their instrument wrong. Cause our instruments are in our, in our body. It's organic. Um, but I haven't seen people look at me funny on stage. I haven't seen, I, I, I rely on my audience a lot. Mm-hmm in their interaction. And I haven't seen that because I can't see through a computer mm-hmm. screen. I don't know where this is going. It, it sounds to me like this, again, I'm watching this little kiddo in my head who's watching constantly mom, dad, cousins, mom, dad, cousins to say, am I okay? Am I enough? Yeah. Do I belong? Am I loved? as a way of knowing that you were safe. Yeah. And that, and it kind of goes with audiences too, because that's where if I have a bad audience, that's just not receptive of what's going on on stage. It kind of ruins my night sure. it ruins the for me. And even though I'm doing, I know I'm doing good. And then I'll look at other drag entertainers and be like, well, was that good? Cause I didn't, when sometimes you just have non-perceptive audiences that just don't react. It almost uh, sounds like kind of in the depth of your soul, you're saying, am I good? No, 100%. Mm-hmm. When I know I'm good. Mm-hmm. When I know I'm good at what I do. I've been doing it for a very long time. Well, 13 years. I've been doing drag longer than my actual career that I'm educated. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it, it goes back to that. Am I good at mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the data. And the- deep down, I know I am. Yes. But it's that self-doubt uh-huh it's almost like we have to earn our own self-trust oh 100 mm-hmm. there's a layer of vulnerability here too in the sense that it's almost like bearing our souls i like to think of it as our naked undecorated essence that when we strip it of all its decor that makes it seem appealing on the surface to let somebody see that and then affirm it, and then to watch them stay is profound. I agree. Well, one of the things as a leader in the queer community, um, I've always been very vocal about my anxiety and depression on Facebook through Mm -hmm. status. Because a lot of people, and this is just what people have told me, and I haven't, I've never, a year ago, you wouldn't have heard me say I'm a leader in the community when I was, but I, you wouldn't have heard me say that. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, I've, people view me as a strong, independent person when sometimes on the inside, I'm just screaming and shaking and yelling and, but I don't present that. 
And so I'm very vocal about today. I'm struggling, y'all. Can you send me pictures of your animals or nudes in my private message if you want? <laughs> like mm-hmm. consenting, obviously. But it's I I've always because I want people to know as I mean Jesse J's song "Who You Are" one of the words like or a phrase in it. It's okay to not be okay, and because a lot of us always present that we're okay when we're not. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been very vocal via social media that, because I want people to know it's okay to present strong, independent, but we, we aren't okay sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're not okay, what do you feel like you need? Affirmation. I love words of affirmation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I need to be affirmed. And I think that might be why I go on social media because I want people to tell me it's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that might be this, the place of vulnerability to say, mm-hmm. this is my undecorated self. Can you meet me here? How comfortable is it for you to do that one-on-one with your intimate, the people who are most intimate in your life? I, I, I like to think that I'm comfortable doing it, but I'm sometimes I'm not, I'm not okay. Reaching out. I'm always saying, Oh, don't be afraid to reach out for help. And I'm like, you need to listen to your own advice. Mm-hmm. Lady. Like uh-huh. <laughs> you always say, don't hesitate to reach out, but sometimes you hesitate to reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, even my roommate, who's my drag child, I, sometimes I'm not okay. And I can't verbally say that mm-hmm. I've gotten better during the pandemic, but, um, yeah, it's it's still difficult. Is it a fear that you'll be rejected? Is it a fear that you're a burden? Probably probably a burden. I know my chosen family and people in this community aren't going to reject me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, or, or cancel me, if you will. We live in a society where cancel culture is big, which I'm not the biggest. I'm all about let's educate and have a conversation before we cancel someone. And if they can't, if they're not willing to learn, I'm like, then let's talk about canceling. But I, I mean, I've had people close to me try to cancel me and it, it was, it was hurtful and it wasn't out of anything that I, from what I know, we hadn't even had a conversation. There was, and so it was, it feels more of a burden than the fear of rejection. Because I know I have a community behind me. Mm-hmm. So going back to the question, I don't fear rejection from my community because people have tried to reject me and it it hurt in the moment, but I've, I'm slowly working on it. But it's more of, I feel like I'm a burden towards them because th- their life's important to them, mm-hmm. whoever that may, whoever them may be. But feeling of, I'm going to burden them. Yeah. And, I, and I'm aware that a lot of people feel that too. Oh, for sure. And I think for me, it's tied to, from a clinical perspective, this idea of really embracing our worth, our value. I Mm -hmm. am valuable enough to you to let you love me. I think letting someone love me was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. (laughs) Yes. And I specifically, when we're, as we talk about this, there's one specific relationship 
uh, not relationship, friendship, which is a relationship. So, um, cause I'm single. Um, but there's, I have one specific friendship that I don't know. I've always felt in, because we're both drag entertainers in a working relationship. I've all, they've always been the person I go to, to help me whenever I'm in a situation that I don't know how to, um, handle, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to like productions of shows, things like that. But through this pandemic, it, it's the beauty behind our friendship. I've been able to let down those walls of not feeling like a burden mm-hmm. or, and if, when we call each other and we talk almost every day, when we talk, it's, how are you doing? And I'm not afraid to say, you know, today was kind of really shitty, mm-hmm. which I would have never done three months ago, even. So it's always, I, I found so many silver linings in this pandemic that I never thought I'd find, mm-hmm. but it's been a beautiful thing. That's awesome. Can I pivot us just a little bit? Totally. Okay, cool. What's your favorite drag outfit? You only Probably. have to pick one. <laughs> my favorite drag outfit? Can my outfit? Um, I had a dress made for the Colorado Divas, which is mm-hmm. our awards mm-hmm. this year. Um, it was back in January. That's my favorite. It was a dress that a friend made. He's a friend, but he was also on Project Runway. Oh, fun. Uh, and he designed it and made it. That's probably my favorite outfit because it can only fit me. That's awesome. It it's not four-way stretch. It's not going to fit anybody else mm-hmm. unless they have my body type. And so that's probably my favorite outfit. It, it's just, and it's just a simple black dress um, with a red belt. It looks like a cardinal outfit almost, mm-hmm. but that's probably my favorite outfit. What's your secret pleasure? My secret pleasure. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about sex? I, uh, <laughs> Vague on purpose. <laughs> oh, God. Well, gosh, I have a lot of secret pleasure. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty open. I love sex, but mm-hmm. I've, I've realized sex can be actually through therapy. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I've realized sex can be harmful for us. And I knew it, I knew it already, but mm-hmm. some people in my life have just kind of solidified that if we're not doing it for the right reason, it'd be harmful. For sure. Uh, but my pleasure, mm, sour candy. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that makes total sense. Mine, one of them is chocolate chip cookies. If I am stressed, I will revert to a nine and I will be in bed scarfing down chocolate chip cookies <laughs> oh wow mm-hmm. yeah definitely sour candy is probably my what's one of my guilty guilty pleasures mm-hmm. I, and i can't eat so it used to be gummy bears um but i'm a vegetarian now so i can't eat like haribo gummy bears specifically i can't eat them anymore because they have gelatin in them but mm-hmm. um but sour patch kids mm-hmm. probably my that's, awesome. choice. that's cool <laughs> if you could see yourself becoming the person that you most dream that you would and if it was dependent on you giving yourself affirmation or kind of a a blessing in a sense today what would you tell your future self to get there oh keep keep working hard 
um, believe in yourself. Don't let society tell you you're not worth it. Don't let even queer people tell you you're not worth it. Um, Because even in our own queer culture, there's still people that look at drag queens differently, that look at non-binary people differently, um, that look at trans, especially trans femme people differently. Because, and I think it's a societal thing that they've been ingrained, but don't let people and society control what you know you're worth. Thank you. That hard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For sure. Absolutely. What's and it's like, well, when I'm sitting here and I'm like, bitch, you need to start listening to what you're saying. Cause <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and I, it's a process that I'm already working through, but mm-hmm. it's yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right here, right now. How can I swallow that message right here, mm-hmm. right now? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was one of my, my things is coming out as non-binary was difficult thinking up to, especially with more femme pronoun usage, um, even though I was already being used in my drag persona um, and still in my day-to-day life, because we're always like, oh, girl, she, or, you know, mm-hmm. um, because as a drag entertainer, it's always been very hard to date for me. And a lot of it is drag, but a lot of it is, I scare a lot of people because I'm a strong, independent here I am saying the things that I need to believe, but that sure. I believe, mm-hmm. but that I'm an independent person that scares people. It sounds like I'm kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, but another layer of integration to integrate what you know mm-hmm. into what you feel about Absolutely. yourself, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. Yeah, I hope I did it right. Did I do it right? This is great. Absolutely. (laughs) You couldn't have not done it right. Today's guest brings such a gentle healing with their vulnerability. As someone who deals with anxiety and depression, they have developed such a strong empathy. And I believe their sophisticated sense of empathy has allowed them to not only see the intrinsic value in who they are, but in others, in community, and experiencing it by fostering the development of others. As a religious, gender non-binary, drag queen entertainer, self-esteem can be a tricky trait to obtain. Placing emphasis on other people to provide our stabilizing affirmation places us into a position clinicians might call other esteeming, where esteem comes from other people. Other esteeming says, if you like me, I like me. If you're disappointed with me, I must be a disappointment. And finally, if you're not here to tell me who I am, I have no idea if I'm worthy of love and acceptance. When the guests describe the narrative within which they swim all day, not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, as the route to their depression, I was so eager to find words that might provide some sort of relief, a magic bullet to reverse that internal dialogue. As queer people who live closeted lives for years, if not decades of our lives, we have no choice but to assume we are less than and, well, not good enough. Living in the closet inevitably plants this seed into who we are and our identity. But as we create a chosen family and a community that supports us without conditions, we are able to learn something different about ourselves, 
and the lessons instilled in us by trustworthy loved ones help us rewrite the scripts we have for ourselves. In other words, love, unconditional love, helps nurture our sense of self-esteem. Growing up from the denigrating mantra, I am not good enough, into a mature sense of I am worth it. Now that's a dramatic life change. To borrow an old adage, those who lose their life will find it. And in this conversation, I am reminded that to lose all of those old narratives that feel like protective barriers means that we will actually find our true identity. Then we are able to create the love lives and relationships we truly crave. Thanks for tuning in. Queer Relation Tips is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.